Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Bueno. Yeah, we'll turn on this one. Yeah, I've actually decided that I think that body composition is like not a worthwhile goal anymore. Really? Yeah. Not just just in general, I think that as a society we've become way too focused on it to the detriment of our overall health. And so I'm not into it anymore. Lindsay throwing down. We are um we are guilty of uh, many of our best conversations uh, not being recorded. So <laughs> we just started recording with that, with that profound initial insight. Body composition is no longer a worthwhile goal. Well, it's not that it's not worth. Well, yeah. I mean, I've actually been. So I'm actually kind of like in the middle of a mental transition. I would say, like, um, because I just I've been reading a lot about like the you know the intuitive eating body positivity movement. And I'm, I'm into it in one level, which is that, you know, I really think that, you know, we should be focusing on health and longevity and how we feel and that, you know, any body composition stuff for most of us should be secondary. Like, I think for most of us, it is secondary. I mean, I think that's the point is that for a lot of us, we just want to feel good and, you know, do our sports or play with our kids or just not feel tired every day. But the, when we talk about what we want, we say we want to lose weight. And I just, that's not actually what most people really want ultimately. Or if they want it, it's because of the wrong reasons. And I hate to be like judging other people's reasons for setting their own goals. But I mean, I just think that people feel like they need to want to lose weight because that's what they're told health looks like, you know? Well, they've been programmed since a young age to respond uh, to uh, magazines as the ultimate. Uh, expression of health, vitality, popularity. I mean, look at the teen magazines and the disastrous messages they're sending um, subconscious level as well as, you know, the the overt attention and uh, kudos you get when you, you look great. Did you change? Did you lose weight? Yeah. And well, even last night, I'm laying in bed reading Harry Potter to Drew. And he's like poking my stomach. He's like, why is your belly squishy? And I was like, well, I've had two children and... You little rat. And you happen to be one of them. Right. And I've also just, I've never had abs. Like my body type in my whole life, I've always just like, that's just not my body type. Like I would have to push myself to unhealthy limits to look like a bathing suit model. I just always accumulated fat in my belly. Like that's just where my body stores fat. I'm fine with that. And I go... I go, well, what's the problem with that? Like, I feel fine about it. And he goes, well, it's just, that's not, that's just not very attractive. <laughs> and I was like, what? You are seven. How have you already absorbed this message? I was like flabbergasted. Of course, like I didn't want to make a big deal of it, but I was like, this is crazy, Drew, that you are seven and you've already absorbed the message that if I have any belly fat, then that's not conventionally attractive. Well, I mean, he's absorbed it somewhere. Not to not to blame the little guy, but something's going on in society, and these uh, 
the, the programming that's so uh, free and open now compared to our childhood when it was, um, you know, JJ from Good Times. I'm a little older than you, but, you know, <laughs> it was so uh, staid and racist and patterned and all the, all the actors were, were characters and they were very typecast. And now, like, we see anything and everything on, on TV and on social media. And part of that's good and part of that's the progress of culture. But, yeah, these messages are bantered out there like they're nothing. Thing, and they actually have profound implications. I mean, we're, we're talking about your your you have two male children, but you know the female is at high risk, much more higher risk than a male when they're in those formative years to start formulating unhealthy opinions about their body and about their eating habits. It's it's very prevalent. Totally, yeah. No, it's bad. It's bad. So I just feel like I feel like most people, I feel like most people who want to lose weight are doing it because they want other people to see them in a certain way. And that's a bummer. Like that's such a bummer. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, because we're going to have a fun, awesome show here and I love getting into this topic right away. We're going to talk about your new book and all that fun stuff that, um, we, we can hear about and usual podcasts, but you and I get into it. I'm glad we're recording finally. Yeah. So I'm going to bring in like devil's advocate position here because I just had this incredible conversation with William Schufelt. He's known as the carnivore shredding dude mm-hmm. on Instagram. He also uh, rose to fame quickly in the acting scene because he's the Red Power Ranger yeah. character. And this guy, he's only 23 years old. So he already has, he already has a great presence in the, the keto and the carnivore space. And he's making a name for himself in health. And he, he just landed this incredible incredible acting role as a brand new novice actor just coming out of college and, and going for it on a whim. But we had a conversation on the Get Over Yourself podcast where he was talking about goal setting and a methodical process to do what you say you're going to do and stick to the thing. And it was really resonating with me because um, I'm that rebel tendency person by Gretchen Rubin and I, I don't respond to inner or outer expectations. I go with the flow. I do what I want. Mark Sisson and I have written these books never on deadline because we publish them ourselves. So we write them when they're good and ready to be published (laughs) and they're in top shape. But as things start to drift away, and this is what I've been talking to you about offline, like, you know, I was strict, strict keto while we were working on the keto reset diet. All of us were. You were texting me your your blood ketones and Mark was texting back. And uh, so I was deep into it. And then I kind of transitioned into another phase, sort of an experimental phase inspired by Chris Kelly, Dr. Tommy Wood, to eat more food and get more healthy nutrition for my athletic goals. And now here I am, like 10, probably, probably eight to 10 pounds more fat than I had at one point, I don't know, a year or two ago, because I really love popcorn and I can't have just one bowl. And, you know, I'll just go to town because I have the freedom and no restrictions. And then I'm transposing this with my conversation with this young kid who beat out 10,000 other uh, actors trying out for this Power Ranger role. And he's a very focused and intense individual. He's got his 3.7% body fat on the carnivore shredding website. And, you know, say what you want to say about that. And it's, it's superficial and he's showing off his abs every other picture on Instagram. But, you know, he comes right out and says, look, you know, people say they don't care that much, but they really do care. And we can, just like you said, we don't want to judge it, but we know that it, it's it's a big deal to look great and get those external accolades. And so how do we reconcile all this? We need to talk to our resident shrink, Dr. Lindsay Taylor. 
Are you recording this right now or no? Yeah, we're recording everything. Oh, okay, that's good. what's so that's what's so beautiful about today's show. We're getting this is Brad and Lindsay on the phone on the phone as usual, or hanging out in the room with our sidekick Jake Taylor and going at it. But these are things that I'm I really am wrestling in my mind because when I walked away from this interview, I'm like, you know what? There's a lot to be said for people that write shit down and say frickin' do it no matter what. And I can't you know relate that much that I'm one of those linear guys. And I'm, I'm driven and competitive and goal setting. I did a lot of athletic accomplishments and things that took a lot of motivation, discipline. But there's another level where you can reflect and go, am I really doing my best? How important is this goal to me? So maybe Dr. Lindsay's going to say, Hey, maybe it's not that important to go get that, that six pack. It's, it's, it means nothing besides, um, a, a superficial goal rather than a health goal. But how do we reconcile all this? Well, I can't remember the exact words you just used, but you were saying how he's like super focused and super driven. And when you said that, I just went, <laughs> like, I just don't want to be that person. You know what I mean? So, you know, mm. we really value and we hold up on the pedestal people who are super focused and super driven and super type A and super goal oriented. And for me, I'm just like, nope, <laughs> that doesn't interest me at all for myself. Um, you know, so I just think that and the same thing with the 3.5% body fat and saying like, oh, you know, we say we it's superficial, but we care. Well, or we don't care. Like we don't have to care about the things that he cares about. And I think that's the problem is that as a society, we've kind of elevated some types of goals or some types of people as being the ones that are more valuable or the ones that are, you know, more admirable. And more and more, I'm like, that's a choice. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to value those people because with everything there's positives and there's negatives. So people who are super driven and super hardcore like that, yes, they get stuff done, but lots of times they also crash and burn out or lots of times they're deficient in other areas of their life because they're pouring all their energy into one, one pursuit. Right? So it's really hard to be good at everything. And so we've just decided that people who are good at this thing are the people we should be emulating. And I just, I just don't think that's true. I mean, I just think that, or I mean, I guess I think we should be questioning that more, you know? And so like you say, yes, we absolutely do judge people based on their bodies and how they look and value people who appear to have a lot of discipline, but couldn't we equally, like, can't you imagine an alternate universe where we value people who have a lot of balance in their life and people who don't inject a lot of stress into their lives and people who have found ways to be happy without trying to force situations or whatever, right? So I can just imagine this parallel universe that's actually the one that I'd rather live in where we're like, it's okay if you have, you know, whatever, 17% body fat as a male, but also you are, um, you know, in, investing a lot in your friendships and you are feeling really good every day and you are able to, you, f- you can find an hour and a half to, in your day to sit down and read a book that, you know, opens up your mind to something new, you know, as opposed to most of us who are like trying to cram in a podcast in the car as we drive to our next thing or like, okay, I'll go to the gym. But if I go to the gym, I have to listen to that audiobook Cause if I don't, and I'm talking about myself right now, still, even as a person who tries to find this balance, I'm still like, you know, okay, I'll go to the gym and I have 45 minutes. And that means I can listen to this podcast. If I put it on one and a half speed, 
And so while I'm also trying to do this thing to my body, I'm going to be cramming my brain with stuff. And then I do like, I, even though I don't consider myself a hard pushing type a personality, cause I'm, I'm definitely not, I still get to points where I start to, you know, fizzle out and not feel my best. And, um, and this is with trying to, you know, actively trying to find balance, making sure I'm sleeping every night, you know? So I don't know. I just think that like we say, Oh, we care about these things, but could we just choose not to? I mean, that's what that, and that's what I'm doing in my life. I'm actually choosing actively not to care about some things as much and to care about other things more. Even though sometimes my little, you know, monkey brain is like, no, 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 no. I'm like, nope, that's not what we're worrying about right now. That's not our priority. Step back, you know. But it's hard. Like it's hard to unwire that wiring. Well, I'm also want to ask you here in your mid 30s. You, we're on video Skype, and Very I see late 30s. Um, late 30s? Oh, geez, we've known each other for too long now. We're like, we're we're counting down the months of the 30s right now. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, But in the background on our on our video Skype here, because we're too lazy to drive, uh, what is it, 23 minutes between (laughs) our houses here in the Sacramento area. But, uh, you know, I'm looking at the five diplomas on the wall. So you're coming off of, you know, a doctorate path that you went grinding all the way through from first grade to walking out of UC Berkeley with your PhD. And then you wrote three cookbooks in the span of a year and change at high pressure, high pace. You did the uh, Ironman finishing, the ultra marathon. So I, I'm totally connecting with you here because I'm this guy also that, you know, look, I named my podcast Get Over Yourself and that's sort of my theme that I'm promoting and, and I, my keynote speech and all that where, you know, I was this driven competitive athlete, but I got in my own way a lot because I was too obsessed with results and would get too disappointed if I didn't meet my expectations perfectly. And I had to relax and realize that when you go with the flow and you cultivate a pure motivation, you can actually succeed even more with these tangible goals if you have a more, uh, you know, sensible and less uptight, tense approach. So I'm I'm buying into that. Um, And I'm also wondering, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this, 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 uh, I was talking to a, a family member and she was talking about a, a young, uh, person who was just, uh, offered to bump up from 24 hours a week at their job to 32. And they've been, tr- you know, working there for a year, but they didn't have any more spots. And they said, Hey, now you can go up to 32. And the person said, No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good right here. <laughs> we just yeah. started laughing, you know, because it's so, it's such a foreign concept that here you are as a young person with all the energy and time. But this person made a decision to, you know, go over to the video games instead of bumping up to a proper, not even a proper full time job as we all consider. But maybe the joke's on everybody who's laughing at that person and that guy's maybe. carving out his ideal life. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to William's assertion that, you know, maybe there's this inner source of pain and suffering when we're falling short of our uh, goals and dreams because of our rationalization saying, yeah, I don't care about a six pack. I think that's silly and vain. And then you criticize the person walking by with a six pack, but there's some turmoil going on. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, first of all, you don't have to criticize the person with the six pack. I mean, I think what I'm saying is live your truth, right? Find the thing that actually sets fire inside of you. And if that's a six pack and, you know, building this physique and that's kind of, and because maybe you see that as like a peak measure of of health and that's what lights you on fire and that's true, that's your truth, then that's what you should do. But what I'm saying is I think a lot of people aren't living their own truths right now because they've absorbed messages about what they're supposed to care about. Um, 
And so, you know, I think that you can, I think that whatever you care about is what you should be investing your energy in. So yeah, like I worked hard at only, in in fairness, only three of these are mine, (laughs) two of them are Jake's. Um, But I worked hard when I was a student. I work hard at my job because I, you know, I, first of all, one thing I value is productivity. For me, I just, being productive and doing what I'm supposed to be doing and delivering on what I was, you know, my commitments is something that I personally value. But then I'm also, um, you know, I also try to be selective about what kind of commitments I make. Right. So, you know, like for example, you know, you said I wrote three cookbooks last year and that's true, but I also don't have, you know, I also work from home and I have a non-traditional job because I really value being able to be here in the morning when my children are getting off to school and then like yesterday I went into my kid's classroom and taught an art class. And then I volunteered at the running club after school, but then I work, you know, from like 8 PM to 9 30 PM every night because that's like where I've chosen to place. That's how I do my, you know, so I've, I've traded a non-traditional working environment for other things I value, but there were trade-offs like, you know, like I'm never going to rise up a corporate ladder because there is no corporate ladder where I work, you know? So, you know, it's just about deciding what you, it's really about doing the, the, the work on yourself to decide what you really care about. And I think a lot of people, you know, going back to the body thing, which is how you and I started this conversation. I think a lot of people think they care about losing weight and getting thin and getting back to their college weight and you're getting into these pants I've been saving in my drawer for 20 years but they don't ever actually think about like, why do I want that thing? Why am I placing all my emotional energy into this thing? You know, and maybe it's because, um, you know, they think that that's, that's, you know, that's going to mean healthy. And I think then, then you should do the next step to explore. Well, where did I get the idea that being a size six again is going to mean that I'm healthy, you know? And also, what does healthy look like for me? Is healthy about how I feel? Is healthy about how I can interact with the world? Is healthy about being able to do the sport I love? You know, and so I just don't think that people do these kind of like deeper, I don't think they question their motivations ever. And I just think that if they did, a lot of people would realize that they're pouring a lot of emotional energy into the things that aren't really what would light them on fire if they really thought about it. So it's not really about placing value on this goal versus that goal or saying that people who want, you know, abs or to be thin or to, you know, be on a podium at their sport are, you know, vain or superficial. I don't think that's true at all. I just think that a lot of people adopt those goals because they're socially acceptable and desirable goals without really thinking about if that's where the best investment would be for their own emotional energy. Dang, I guess it depends where you're landing on the spectrum because on one side I feel uh, a, a lot of pain with um, the, the decline of uh, modern culture and society here because we're getting lazier and life is getting easier to just exist without making a economic contribution of much and without really making a difference or, you know, living your dream. What's the tattoo that uh, you guys have on your arm? Live your, your legends. 
Yeah, live your legend. Like, really, you know, what were you born and destined for to, to make a difference and make a contribution to the planet here? And that entails working your butt off and doing something worthwhile and, and maybe going from 24 to 32 hours a week as part of that journey. Uh, so then there's people on the far end of the spectrum. And one of them is my son. I'm having to tell this guy, dude, chill out. Don't worry about it. He's, th- you know, he's midway through his um, journey at, a, at an elite college, getting great grades and doing all kinds of great stuff. And he's worried about his future and where this is going to lead and whether you should get an internship. And it's like, no, 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 no. Tone that voice down and just enjoy yourself and go out there. Of course, you're going to excel. We're not going to have to have that come to come to pop a moment where you're flunking out. So, you know, I, I'm, we're, everyone's navigating sort of a different, different voices in their head. But I feel like there's a ton of people out there that don't give a crap enough about their health they don't give a crap about their steady decline into old age, starting at, uh, you know, speaking of hitting the big 4-0 and then the big 5-0 and then the big 6-0, I'm looking around at my peer group and we're like at this intense fork in the road where it's either like you're going to make something happen or you're going to go down a sorry-ass slope and you're going to have a, have a future of pain, suffering, medication, and uh, uh, your offspring caring for you when you get older. And so to me, you know, I'm, I'm driven and motivated by some what I consider to be very powerful and worthwhile forces that I want to live a long, half, happy, healthy life. I want to keep my my balance so I don't fall down a staircase. So I'm doing all kinds of crazy workout stuff and, and another set of squats and another set of pull-ups. And it's not that I love it intrinsically. I'm not one of those gym rats, but it's like I do it and I try not to think about whether I'm motivated or not because the payoff is so huge and the penalty is so severe to be just even a little bit lazy today because a little bit lazy like a I was talking about before sometimes turns into a lot of lazy and then it gets easier and easier and you're you're less and less inclined to uh you know to to stay on the on the path to uh living your legend mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think you know i said we shouldn't value other people's goals or judge them um i do think that I- like if I could make people have goals, like if I could kind of decide like, Oh, I think this is what would be good for society. Lindsay is the queen. What will she decide for you? You will run across the great rag bribe bicycle ride across Iowa next month. Okay. But no, it would just be like caring about how you feel. Cause I think a lot of people just don't feel that good, you know? And that's, I mean, that's a big thing, right? That means that encompasses your physical health, your emotional health, your social health. Um, you know, if you have mental health issues you're struggling with and, you know, and then they get back to these first principles that you and I have been talking about forever, which is like, then you start to care about the types of food you're putting in your body and caring about how you feel. You care about how you're moving your body or not, but hopefully, yes, you care about, you know, standing with your face to the sun, which I think is one of the most magical things you can do for like an instant boost. If you just go out in the morning and put your face to the sun. Like that is one of my number one things that I think is just like an instant elevator for people, you know? So caring, you know, I think that a lot of people, you're right, don't care. And I don't think that not caring is a good option. But what I'm saying is that within the spectrum of caring about how you feel, there's, then you get lots of leeway to decide for you how that manifests, right? In terms of behaviors. Um, And I also think that Again, going back to the whole, you know, weight loss thing, I think a lot of people ultimately want to feel good and to have good relationships and to have a body that does what they want it to do. And that's not a body that and a mind that aren't declining with age, you know, and staying 
vibrant for as long as possible. But they couch that in terms of weight loss because what they see is they look at where they currently are and say, oh, you know, I'm 40 pounds overweight or 80 pounds overweight or 10 pounds overweight, which is a concept I don't really believe in. But okay. And so what do you mean you don't believe in? Like, I just don't think, like, I think that a lot of people who think they're 10 pounds overweight are probably a very healthy, normal weight. Um, So, but, you know, they look at their current body and they say, oh, if I want to be vibrant and healthy and, um, you know, uh, mentally stable and emotionally happy and, you know, all these things, if I want to have well-being for the next 40 years, this 40 pounds is what's stopping me from maybe getting there. And it's, it's, it's probably not that like, that's a, that's a poor proxy for the things that people actually want and possibly the things that are going to hold them back. Right. So if you're carrying around extra weight because you're sedentary, it's not the weight you should be addressing. It's the movement. If you're carrying around 70 extra pounds because you drink, you know, tons of soda and you don't, you know, you're eating too frequently and you are eating more calories than you need, then you should be not looking at weight loss. You should be looking at nutrition and like supporting your body through nutrition. So I just think that in our society, we you, we use fat on your body, body fatness as a proxy for the things we really care about. And then when you try to address weight as the thing, it's a it's frustrating. It's, it doesn't work. I mean, we know diets don't work in the long term, like conventional dieting. It just, it's not, it's a, it doesn't work and it's emotionally stressful and people regain the weight because when you focus on the weight, you're not focusing on what really matters for the ultimate goal. And really for some people, and I think it's probably truer for maybe younger people, maybe I may be making generalization here, but you know, that the body comp is the goal you know, and, and that's okay. But I think, well, like, they're not worried about longevity right. and things like that. So it's much easier, but you know, here, here at your age or my age, um, my goals are, you know, to live a long time in a healthy manner. And so that is body composition comes into that in a, in a huge way. And so do blood values. So maybe I want to ask you, are, are we, could we take this conversation over into, uh, your most recent blood report? And so if things are good there and you're under 100 with your triglycerides and your HbA1c is under 5 or under under 5.5 and, and your your inflammatory markers are down, maybe the ex, quote-unquote extra 10, extra 20, extra 17 pounds is kind of superfluous because you've been declared uh, the highest state of health. But I'm not sure that's right or not. I mean, uh, maybe... You know what would what would Peter Atia say or, or Dr. Kate Shanahan or I, I mean Deepak Chopra mentioned this in one of his books that um, it's a much higher risk factor for heart disease to have yo-yo dieting pattern right. throughout adult life. So those people that lose thirty-two pounds and do their thing and then they gain twelve back and then they lose it and then they gain those guys are much higher risk than someone who just carries uh, a nice jovial uh, spare tire for their entire adult life. But they they they're stable and maybe they're not six pack material. But uh, what do you think? Do, do do we have people walking around with excellent blood values but a lot of extra body fat just because just because they love to eat and they watch the chef shows or what? I mean. I'm just really getting into this research in the whole health at every size movement. Um, but yes, I mean, I know we know that 
the correlation between any specific health marker and any disease or any or any you know long term mortality. They're always imperfect correlations, right? So if we had the perfect correlation between any one thing, including body fatness, then we would just be able to say, oh, like this is what you need to do. But they don't. They're all imperfect markers. Um, so yes, like having carrying around a lot of extra body weight is a risk factor. But it's usually a risk. Fa- it's a risk factor because it signals other things that are happening inside the body, you know, and also because like adiposity, like you know, it, it affects your hormone levels. But if you go to your doctor and you have a, you know, a clean bill of health on paper, I mean, I guess the question is, I still don't really want to know. Then, if I'm like your health coach, what your body fatness is, I want to know what your behaviors are because if you look good on paper and you're feeding your body whole nutritious foods and you're eating organ meats and you're drinking your water and you're getting your electrolytes and you're eating a variety of vegetables and you're not, you know, binge drinking every night and you're walking your dog and you're sleeping 8 hours a night like I just don't feel like I should tell you them but you also have to lose 40 pounds. I mean you're checking all the boxes except for the sh- the size of your body. Like that to me is like as a person who's you know as a coach that's like the last thing I care about because I mean if you're checking every box and doing it quote unquote right, which is a word I don't really like to use, but you know what I mean. And everything looks great. You know what I mean. And everything looks great. And this is apparently what your body looks like when you're checking all the boxes. Then why do I need to, like, there's no indication in any way that the size of your meat sack is a problem, except for societal standards. Now, I mean, obviously, we can get into debates about, like, how many people is that actually true for? And the answer is, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea how many people would actually fall into that bucket of checking all the boxes for optimal health and also having like a very overweight body. I don't know, but do I think that some of those people exist? Yes, I do. But I don't think that, but the fact is that most people, no matter what their body looks like, are not checking all those boxes for health. They're not managing stress. They're not getting sufficient sleep. They're sitting all day at their jobs and then over-exercising maybe to compensate is like a best case scenario for a lot of people, right? Like sitting all day and then like pounding it out at the gym and killing themselves on the weekend and like not sleeping on the weekends because they're trying to, you know, get in all the fun and the exercise they missed out on for the five days that they were working their 60 hour work week. So, you know, like, again, like I just, I just don't care about weight until someone has checked so many other boxes. On the other hand, I guess, like if weight is what is motivating you to, you know, start to look at those boxes, okay, but I just feel like, I mean, just the research just shows that like dieting is bad for your mental health. Like, you know, dieting with the explicit goal of losing weight and joining like a traditional like weight losing club where we're gonna lose X percent of our body weight and then, yes, it often leads to yo-yoing, which is definitely unhealthy and definitely messes up your hormones. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I just have a real love-hate, mostly more, way more towards hate now than it used to be relationship with this because I just feel like it's just, it's not, 
it's not what ultimately matters, I think, for most people. Like just ha- having you know been in our, run our Facebook group now for almost two years, we have thirty thousand people in there, and hearing how people talk, I don't think it's what people care about that much. Or it is, but like ultimately, like in a big existential way, it's not what people care about. But then when I say like, what are we celebrating? They're like, I lost five pounds, and I'm like, but how do you feel? <laughs> you know. Where'd you leave it? Right. So I don't know. I mean, it's just really hard because these things are so deeply programmed into us. And I certainly don't, I'm not trying to, I don't want anyone to feel bad for buying into the messaging that you should be trying to lose weight. But it's just when, when I'm talking, I just want to make sure that I'm always talking about how do you feel mentally? How do you feel physically? How is your stress life? you know, work balance, like, how's that going for you? Are you able to do the things you want to do? So I, I just try to talk about the things that I think are ultimately going to be better for people's mental and physical health, but I'm not trying to judge like what brings everyone to the table. I just want people to understand that there are, that you don't have to care about losing weight, um, in order to be at the table. Right. Right. I mean, um, we can put this into the category of, uh, making money and building wealth and listening to the wealth experts and like, you know, here I am at, uh, how old am I? I'm 54, right? So throughout my adult life, I really haven't prioritized building wealth as you can see by. That's not your, that's not your gold um, nugget closet that you're standing in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have some, I have some, uh, shipping tape on my Prius right now. And uh, my fiance teased me because she had to drive the car. She goes, I don't want to drive that car. I'm like, it, it really worked. It tapes up really see, nice. You've seen my Prius, Brad. It's not like your, your yeah. Prius and my Prius could be in a race to the bottom. <laughs> if you if you want to order a, a new hatch attachment on the back of your Prius, it's several hundred dollars. Or you can tape it up with shipping tape and it looks fine. Anyway, as I get older, though, my priorities are changing. And I can see the benefit of having that freedom and that security uh, as you age and as you lose your peak productivity years where you can work the hardest you can and expect that your hands will type on the keyboard and all that stuff. So it's an important factor that's probably been overlooked in my pursuit of my passions and my growth experiences and uh, being my own person and my own boss. So it seems like there's always a trade-off and we get these rationalizations like, hey, I'm not out there you know, freaking about every single thing that goes in my mouth life's short. You might as well enjoy yourself, everything in moderation. And some of that stuff I recoil at because we're paying a hidden price. And so I, I feel like this this show is going great because we're getting a little bit of back and forth banter. And some of the things I want to inject into it are these benchmarks that you might want to strive for to avoid the pain and suffering of demise. And the Cooper Institute, this is from the longevity book that Mark and I and you're, you're helping us work on. So we've been dealing with this research and they have found that one of the most profound longevity factors ever discovered, better than any blood values or things like that, is your performance in the one-mile run at age 50. And if a female can break nine minutes and a male can break eight minutes, they are in the superior category and they have a vastly better chance of surviving until age 80 than a female who cannot break 13 minutes, a male who cannot break 12 minutes. So probably 97% of the listeners of this show or any show would say that they want to make it to 80 uh, with smooth sailing. So you better get your butt out there onto the track. And if that means that that 30 pounds is slowing you down, 
down and you just ran a 1201 huffing and puffing, you know, for the, for the clipboards and the performance. I mean, going hard for one mile, that's a pretty impressive time. If you're talking about eight minute, nine minute miles, that's, that's runner times. And, you know, most people probably can't hit that standard, but to, to dip under that 12 minute mile, 13 minute mile, that would seem like a, a huge priority objective, no matter who you are and how little you are into fitness or how much, how little you care about your, your, your body shape and your six pack. Yeah. I mean, but I think that's the thing is that you can care about your fitness and you can use, you know, how your body looks and as a proxy for, is your training working or not working? But ultimately a better measurement of your training is working or not working. Is it, are your times improving? Right. So it's not that I think that, you know, your body composition can't be a factor for you depending on what your goals are. I'm just saying that we've elevated it to a level where we, we treat it like the most important thing when very often it's a proxy for something else, or at most, in my opinion, should be taken in concert with several other things. Right. Um, but I just, my, my guess, my, you know, where I started thinking about this a lot more was just, I just see how much pain and suffering people go through when they're not losing two pounds or five pounds. And I just like, it just kills me. Like the amount of, of mental anguish people will let what they consider, you know, seven extra pounds. I'm stuck. I'm seven pounds from my goal weight and I'm trying everything. Well, do you believe that? Or do you think there's, um, poor approach or rationalizations playing into it where, they're not doing the William Schufeld all the way down, like do it or else just do it. I mean, maybe they're not, but who cares? Like, that's my point is like, well, they, they care because they're experiencing pain but and they suffering. They don't care because what, I mean, ultimately if that's true, right. If they're not like doing the like 110%, either they've reached the point at which they're doing as much as they're willing to do, which is fine. So just accept that. Right. Just accept that. I also think that for a lot of people, if they're really doing what seems and they're true and they're being true themselves and they're saying, okay, this is like, I'm doing everything right on paper again and I'm stuck at this weight. Then that is the weight your body wants to be given those inputs. Okay. So you have to change the inputs. But for a lot of people, you know, I think a lot of people who are really serious, and I'm not talking about the people who are half-assing it, right? I'm talking about the people who are really dedicated to this weight loss goal. They stop at the point where it is likely to become very stressful slash possibly unhealthy for them to go farther. And so what they've done is they've stopped at a point where they feel like they're doing as much as they can. Now, is there always more restriction? Yes, there is always, almost always for most people, there's almost always more restriction, but that doesn't mean it's the right path for you. So I just think that people get stop where they're stopping because that's the, they're at a level of restriction that feels like the most for them. And now you have to choose. Do you want to go even farther down that path that may be, physically or mentally unhealthy for you in order to lose seven pounds. Why? Because you started with a number in your head. Are you taking the time to truly evaluate where you are now and really think about why those seven pounds matter to you and doing the mental work to think about the trade-off? Like, okay, if I really wanted to push myself past this point, I'd have to 
go, you know, to this super, super hardcore place. Knowing that probably unless you want to stay at that super hardcore place, you're going to end up back where you are now. Hmm. So is that what you want? And I just feel like society is telling us, yes, you have to want that. Like, that's what you want. And if you don't want that, and if you're not doing that, then you are wussing out. Like, oh, look, you got so close and then you just quit. You're a quitter. And I'm like, or you got to a point where you realized your body was happy and decided that that was good for you and that you were at a place where everything was in balance for you. And, oh my gosh, it happens to be seven, the number on the scale happens to be seven pounds higher than you thought. But also realizing that unless you're getting regular DEXA scans and stuff, you don't necessarily, you didn't come in with a body fat percentage goal for most people. Like, yes, William obviously did, but most people are not coming in with a body fat percentage goal. So you don't even know what your body comp is for most people. Most people are not going out and getting DEXA scans. So, you know, you just, you came in with a semi-arbitrary goal. You got to a certain point doing the behaviors you're willing to do. And then you want those same behaviors to get you to a different point, And they're not going to. And you don't want to do the work to think about the amount of restriction and like more work and whatever you'd have to get to be there. And it's just like, it's just, it's so, it's so messy. And I feel like it causes so many people such heartache where they could just, I mean, and another thing that is a valid thing is like, okay, I can look at myself and say, okay, like I'm not like, I'm not carrying around like excessive body fat. I can go to the gym and do this. I'm able to do this. I'm sleeping, I'm eating what I consider an appropriate diet for my health and longevity, blah, 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 blah. And I'm never weighing myself again. And actually that's where I'm at. I don't know the last time I weighed myself. I think it was like October. I have, every time I walk by the scale at the gym, I'm like tempted. And then I'm like, why? Why do I want to know that number? I know that I'm wearing the same clothes. I know what my body looks like. I know what it feels like. Why do I need that data point when I have everything else in place? And it's it's a learned behavior. Yeah, and on the other side, uh, what about making it home from a 20-mile run or making it to the finish line of the Ironman and the tremendous sense of satisfaction that you get from you know setting a goal and achieving it? And uh, I brought up the the wealth or the income example, as well as the uh, get, getting that six pack through um, whatever whatever means necessary. Most likely, it's not going to be unhealthy to um, to to go down to uh, a lower body composition until we're talking about these uh, females who are losing their uh, period and, and things like that, where it's clearly unhealthy, but they're doing it for performance goals. But in, in most cases, it's probably going to be a health boost to drop. Uh, whatever excess body fat the person's carrying. So that's if you believe that that seven pounds is in true excess though. And that's what I'm saying is we don't know. I mean, I don't think we know that like, and I don't think that most people who think like, I think, you know, a lot of people who get very close to their goal weight and then struggle, struggle, struggle are well within the range of healthy. Well, so we're bringing the blood work back into the picture now and perhaps the Cooper Institute passing the baseline. There's also a really prominent, um, there, there's some prominent longevity uh, data going with grip strength and uh, push-up competency. So if you can do this many push-ups, you can run the mile in a certain time, you have good grip strength, you have good balance, and you're, you've passed with a 100% score, then yeah. Then, then we're not not talking the same thing. But my my contention is that 
uh, people are really slipping more quickly than they need to be. I mean, that's what this longevity research is showing. Art Devaney's classic line where he said, uh, you know, aging is not what we think it is. Aging is cellular damage. It's not an inevitable byproduct of, uh, you know, as much as we think it's an inevitable byproduct of just passing the calendar years and going out and getting in the sun and our skin gets uh, wrinkly uh, every 10 years, it's a little more wrinkly. That's that's true on such a small level from what we're used to. And the rest of it's damage from eating crappy food, not sleeping enough, blasting our eyes with artificial light, digital stimulation after dark, and uh, and so on. Right. I totally agree with that. And then that gets back to my earlier point, which is that it's not about weight loss. It's about the underlying behaviors that often do lead to weight loss for people who are carrying around excess body fat because of unhealthy behaviors, right? If you're carrying around excess body fat because that's what you're genetically designed to do, probably changing those behaviors aren't going to make a ton of difference. But of course, probably most of the people or a lot of the people who carry around significant excess body fat right now would lose some or most of that if they change their behaviors. But, you know, grip strength is not about your body fatness, right? Like obviously, yes, mile and your mile performance, probably your push-up performance are correlated with body fatness because you have to move that mass. But mostly at the end of the day, it's about, you know, you kind of, this kind of underlying cellular health, the movement you've done with your body. And so those things will lead, you know, will trend you towards a more optimal body composition. Um, but again, that's why I prefer to focus on the behaviors. And going right, back to your, that's, oh, yeah. go ahead. Oh, it brings in this whole other dimension that we haven't really talked about is, is what, what do you want to do with your life? So if I want to go, uh, you know, as I report through my, my athletic bio, uh, I retired from professional triathlon racing. So during that period of time, I wanted to race triathlons really fast. And then I wanted to dominate little kids in soccer, basketball, and track when I coached them from age four to age 14, when they started dominating me. That's when I stepped off the basketball court. And this summer, I want to climb the highest peak in the United States, Mount Whitney, and I want to break the world record in speed golf. And so I want to live my life in a certain way right. that is highly calibrated to peak performance. Right. And all those important things like my, uh, my, my six pack and my recovery and my use of all the performance supplements that might not be extending my lifespan, but they're very important to me because I have these athletic goals. I'm hoping those athletic goals don't compromise my lifespan, my longevity. In, in many ways they do. And we've talked about that a lot with the endurance athletes. Like if you want to go do 13 Ironmans in the next 13 years, good luck because you are paying a very severe price. Most likely you're cutting years off your life, just like a smoker. But back to my example, where I'm picking these goals, like uh, playing the fastest hole of speed golf, it's it's calibrated towards sprinting and those workouts where I'm doing explosive workouts that are known to promote longevity and health. I don't think they're going to compromise my lifespan. But if you want to be good at meditation, reading a lot of books, having nourishing meals with family and friends and going on walks in the neighborhood and listening to the birds chirp, um, boy, oh boy, you probably have a range that's all of a sudden expanded by 20 or 30 pounds of body fat because it's not that big a deal in the big picture if you're, uh, if you're, you know, free from ruminating thoughts and those mental diseases that we are, you know, seeing in prevalence now. Congratulations and the jokes on everybody else who you go back to maybe we should ask ourselves how I, how we feel instead of how we look. Now we 
cover that category of orthorexic people who feel like crap while they're walking around glistening with the perfect body, but they feel dead inside. And look at the behavior of the celebrities and the athletes who have, you know, perfect physical specimens, but they're drinking too much and crashing their Bentleys at two in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No offense to anyone who's uh, offended by that statement, but happens all the time. Like you got everything, you got all the wealth, you got all the adulation, you got... Uh, you know, you're a sex symbol that's printed on the cover of the magazines and you feel dead inside. Very, very common. Right. I mean, exactly right. Like there is not a good correlation between how your body looks and your mental state. Right. I mean, we know plenty of people whose bodies are quote unquote perfect as a, as a, you know, as measured by our current societal beauty standards who struggle with still struggle with body image issues and lots of other things. And then we have people whose bodies are far from perfect by conventional standards who feels fat amy from pitch perfect one of the greatest actresses oh i love her rebel williams rebel wilson yeah uh rebel wilson amy schumer doing the show uh i feel pretty the movie where she was magically what she hit her head or something and she woke up and thought that she was um this incredibly perfect 10 sex symbol and she played the role so beautifully well where you know she just ascended same same person everyone else is treating her and looking at her the same but it was a great it was a comedy but it had great social commentary because she was able to snap her fingers and all of a sudden you know have all this confidence and all this swagger that comes when um you know you have the 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 perfect body by society standards but it was you know it was insider the whole time kind of thing yeah and like so you mentioned peak performance goals like that is not something i personally care about at all like i go to my iron man and all i want is to finish in the time that seems like i should be finishing based on my own training but i am not i have no aspirations of peak performance basically in any athletic endeavor because I just never have, you know, I don't think I'm genetically gifted in that way. And I just don't want to do the work to try to like, that's just not where I want to pour my mental energy. And then, well, I mean, peak performance to you is to finish an Ironman is a magnificent peak performance goal. So we don't have to judge that your finishing time is inferior to to the person on your age group. Some people do, you know that. I mean, there's people, because I finished in like under, under 14 hours, it was like 1345, let's say. And you know, there's plenty of people that would be like, well, if you can't get under 12, then you might as well not even go out there. You know, I, I know mean, one was on our podcast. We got tons of hate mail, like the most email we've received from Primal Endurance Show, uh, where the person said, if you're not running under four hours, uh, I believe you, you're not a runner. Mark. <laughs> no, no. Mark was saying, Mark was saying in the old days, in the old days, if you didn't break three hours in the yeah. marathon, you weren't really a runner, you were a jogger. And that was like, no one was even offended by that. It just was what it is. And now there's like, you know, if you break four hours in the Los Angeles marathon, you're in like the, the top 10% of all finishers. Yeah, and I, and I by Most the way, still can't break jogging. four hours in the marathon. I mean, I'd really have to train to do it. But again, like, yeah, a, that's not where I'm willing to pour my emotional energy. But then other people would look at my life and say, what is she even doing? You know, and for me, I feel like what I'm doing is I find balance between work and my, you know, investing in my own self and my self-care and my family. Like, so for me, this is what makes me feel happy and fulfilled. But, at, you know, going back to your wealth example, I'm not, I did not choose a career path where I'm going to get, um, you know, crazy wealthy. And if I wanted to, I'd either have to leave my current job or I'd really have to work on becoming an influencer, right? Because I'm like adjacent to that influencer space. And I've thought about that, like, oh, I should be blogging. I should be, I should have a YouTube channel. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And that 
and I could probably make more money doing that. And I could, you know, spend the next two or three years of my life, like pouring my energy into that, sacrificing my own self-care and probably some of my parenting. Um, but that's a choice I could make, you know, and I could pour myself into that pursuit and really become a bigger social media presence and reach more people and help a lot of people. And that idea right now in my life does not set my soul on fire. It makes me go, Oh, I don't want to do that. And so I'm not, but there is a voice in my head that says you should be doing that. Like you could do that. People would listen to you. You have a platform. You're already set up for it. You should do that because that's what people do. Like that's what you should do when you are in my shoes. And people tell me that all the time. And it's like a constant mental battle between the like, I should, and I don't want to. (laughs) You could, and I don't want to. Not right now. Um, And so, you know, and it's like that with any goal, whether it's peak performance or weight loss or money or, you know, any other career path type thing, you know, and it's really hard. Like it's so, so hard to battle the shoulds, right? The should is one of the most complicated dangerous words in our vocabulary because it just, it, what all it's doing is placing external expectations on you, how you should look, how you should act, what you should be doing for your career. You know, and I did the same thing when I, I, like you mentioned, I, I earned my PhD and then walked away from academia. And there were people that were horrified mom, you know, when I did that, um, and it's, you know, it's hard. And there's still days where I'm like, what? I mean, I know it was the right choice, but there's days where I'm like, oh, like I could have, could have done that, you know? So I don't know. I mean, I just feel like, and it's, it, it's, it's hard mentally to do the work to really sit with these things. And I think that's why most people or a lot of people don't do them. You know, the path of least resistance is I think what a lot of people are on. And I also think like a lot of people are really hardcore in one thing, like career, at the expense of other things like health. And they just are like, well, that's how it has to be, right? Like if I'm going to really focus on this, I have to let this go. And it's like, are you sure? Like, have you really looked at, explored the options? Have you explored all the options for what this career path could look like that might let you have more balance? And yes, that is a ton of work. And there's, you're always going to have, in today's day and age, Like we're not hunter gatherers who are sitting around like lolling under a tree for three hours in the afternoon. Like there's always, something's always got to give. But I think that when we look around, we can see that what so many people are letting give is their health. Like you and I both know that being in the health sphere. Yeah, I think there's, we should probably wrap this up with these two important points that you just led us to. And one of them is that um, you got to be comfortable with the consequences of your choices. And if you're going to be a culinary, uh, delightful, culinary, indulgent person who makes these wonderful meals and enjoys the food so much, then maybe you're going to have an exchange rate there for uh, looking like the shredded carnivore who only eats eggs, fish, and meat for now William's going on a year and a half. I mean, it's good food. He's not, he's not starving, but it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a sacrifice, right? And then it would be for me. It would be a sacrifice for me personally. And then the second part, which just came right at the end was sort of a, uh, an insight that we think there's this, uh, trade off 
but there's really not. And now the, the great thought leaders and the explosion of uh, health and this whole movement that we've been part of for a long time, uh, people are realizing that you can be more productive uh, at work as you sleep more. And then the science and the research supports this, that everything takes 40% longer when you're uh, sleep deficient. So when you have to work the late hours at work, it's because you're not sleeping enough because you're working the late hours at work. And there's a way out of this, which is to lead that healthy, balanced lifestyle that you describe. And I'm going to argue that your parenting, your time in the classroom is giving you the uh, refreshment and the nourishment and the, the you know the uh, inspiration to come back to the table and write up cool recipes that you can test with your kids and then everything flows together beautifully when you take care of your health first. So I think that's a, a great insight that we could kind of leave with those two takeaway points where the people uh, can can you know nod in agreement saying okay I'm going to have to be congruent with you know my my stated goals and my behaviors. You have to have congruency there, otherwise you're going to be uh, unhappy and pain and suffering all the time. Yeah. I love what you said about just being willing, understanding that you can't have everything from the get-go maybe, and that you can always be moving towards having more balance and making choices that are more uh, conducive to having health and wellness. Um, you know, and understanding that just because you're not there necessarily today is, does not mean that there's no path forward, but it's, you know, it it is work. It is, you know, people make it seem easy on social media. And we think that people who appear to have it all, A, really do have it all, which is often not the case. And B, got there without any work, which is definitely not the case. Um, So yeah, I mean, just do what, you know, truly do what feels right to you. I'm really, truly not here to judge anybody, what makes anybody else happy and what makes them tick. Um, I just fear that, you know, we have such a narrow definition of productivity. We have a narrow definition of success. We have a narrow definition of attractiveness. We have an even kind of a narrow definition of health in some ways. And I just feel like people, I'd like to help people start questioning those assumptions more so that when they don't perfectly align with those things, they're in a better position to evaluate whether or not that's actually a problem for them. Start with this podcast. Listen, evaluate, share it with your friends. That was great, Dr. <laughs> Lindsay Taylor. Thank you for getting into Thank it. You. We had no notes, no preparation. The mic, nope. what, the video I, wasn't heard, working. I did not even know we were taping. We just went to town. <laughs> Thank you for listening, Yay. everyone. Hope you loved it. Send your comments to uh, info at primalblueprint.com. We'll get it into it. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. So, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. 
What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.